0: Hello church, uh, I'm sorry uh, Regina and I can't be with you this weekend, we uh, had to be away But you're in for a real treat uh, A few months ago, God sent someone into our congregation that has just really touched my heart in a deep way It's Dr. Barry Cole. Uh Dr. Cole is just a tremendous theologian and pastor I think he's been pastoring for, I don't know, two, 3,000 years, something like that No, just teasing uh, He uh, just recently retired and God sent him to us and uh, I've just been deeply touched by him, and he's already been, become a great friend. And now you're going to be blessed with him as well. So at this time, if you would, I want you to give a real center point Church welcome to my dear friend, and soon to be yours, Dr. Barry Cole. With an introduction like that, I better be good. Well, good morning, church family. It's just really a pleasure to be with you today. Um, I'm just the bigger, older version of Jay. Actually, this is what you look like about 10 or 15 years if you keep preaching five times every Sunday or every weekend. You know, I feel a little bit like uh, we're at a Texas Ranger baseball game. Uh, you know, you Darvish has pitched eight strong innings. And then it's time for him to take off, and everybody stares at the bullpen to see what's coming in. (laughs) This is it. (laughs) Before we go any further, I want us to honor some people today. This is Memorial Day weekend. And I know that uh, there are many families who have loved ones who served in the armed forces today, here and around the world. But what I'm going to ask you to do is to stand And I'm going to ask you to hold your applause to the end, but if you served in the Army, please stand. Army veterans, okay, how about Navy? Uh, Marines? Air Force? Got any Coast Guarders? Reserves? National Guard? Why don't we give these people just a round of applause? Thank them for their service. (laughs) I do want to thank Jay for allowing me and giving me the privilege to share with you. It's probably an interesting thing to be gone and, and entrust a, a church for five services to somebody. As somebody told me at the end of the service that when they had the film up there and they looked at that and found that Jay wasn't going to be here, they said, oh, bummer. <laughs> but she was kind enough to say it was good, so let's pray that it will be. Uh, But I want to thank Jay for trusting me enough to share God's worth with you today and for his continued prayers and his encouragement and his friendship. I want to take you back to the beginning of this message series, Honest to God. And uh, my wife and I normally come on Saturday night and we sit about four rows back where the guy with the red shirt sits, that's where we normally sit. And So I've listened to this series, and I, I've greatly enjoyed it myself. I want to take you back to the, the verses that this is set on. It's in James chapter 1, and I want to focus very briefly on verses 6 to 8, and, um, or 5 to 8, and just kind of take us back to where we came from. But in this it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, and I would imagine that's probably most of us, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea, as blown, tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Now, as I've listened to the messages in this series, Honest to God, I've reflected on these words from James I've thought about at least four different things. One of them is it says to ask. Ask. Now, I was a a teacher. Actually, I was a high school and college basketball coach for about 18 years before going to ministry, which probably explains if I kind of yell at you every once in a while, a little bit of that. But what what I remember is that word ask, at least in the New Testament, in the Greek, it literally means to keep on asking, And, and that the only dumb question is the one that you never ask. And that's what God says, ask me whatever you want to. And the really great thing our text says, and he's not going to rebuke you. I mean, he's not going to say, oh, come on, that's another dumb question. He's not going to say, oh, it's you again, just be quiet. He's not going to say, well, that's silly, figure it out for yourself. He will not rebuke you. God wants to give you the answer. It may not be the answer you want, but it might be the very answer you need. The third thing this text reminds us of is that your faith needs to be in Him alone. Now, I say that because there are a lot of people, even as the text says, they have divided loyalties. There are some people who come to the pastor and they listen to what the pastor says. Then they go back and they grab their scripture and they try to figure out what the Bible says. Then they watch somebody on television who seems fairly intelligent and figure out what they've got to say about the subject. And then they go and talk to all of their unchristian friends or they talk to other people at work and now they've got four or five or six different opinions and they just kind of hunt and peck. It's no wonder some people are mixed up. It's no wonder some people don't hear God. It's no wonder that some people think maybe that God doesn't care because their friends have told them, well, obviously God isn't listening to you. Obviously, he doesn't care either. Now, as we end, wind up this series, Honest to God, we're going to take a look at a man who cried out to the Lord. In fact, he weeps and wails and moans and lifts his hands in the air. And, and even though that he'd heard God in the past, suddenly it's as if God no longer listens to him. It's suddenly as if God, he doesn't, that God doesn't even care. Anybody ever been in that situation where you wondered, what's happening with my prayers? They're kind of like heading up to a glass ceiling in heaven, kind of go, um. And nothing's happening? Do you ever get to the point where you just kind of wonder whether God's kind of tuned you out? Well, if so, we're going to take a look at Psalm 77 today. It's a great psalm, and it's a psalm for all of us. But before we begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, as we dig into your word today, we're praying for a, a special measure of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you speak through my words, let it be what you have to say and not what it is that a human wants to say. Help us to work your word so that the word will work us. We pray for a special measure of the Holy Spirit today too, that we hear what it is that you want to teach us. We pray it in your son's precious name, amen. Now we're going to track along in Psalm 77, you've got your Bibles, you can find it, you can also find it on your message map, but I'm going to start with the first six verses. And here the psalmist says, I cry out to God. Now stop and think, What was the last time when you prayed, you literally cried out, shouted almost? He said, yes, I shout, oh, that the Lord would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan. Overwhelmed with longing for his help. You don't let me sleep. I'm too distressed even to pray. I think of the good old days long since ended when my nights were filled with joyful songs. And one thing I have learned in this series is that the Bible is an honest book. It doesn't hide anything. Even the warts and the bumps and the blemishes of some of God's greatest heroes like David, of whom the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. The Bible still going to tell you that he was a murderer. He was an adulterer. In fact, David even put out a hit on his deathbed. Did you know that? It's in there. Just read it after a while. It does not hide from us the troubles that people go through. And this psalm tells us a man who is suffering. It doesn't tell us what's happening particularly. It just says he's in deep trouble. Now, every once in a while when I talk about it, I think of my own life. I say, I feel like I'm in deep weeds. I'm going through some really deep weeds where I can't really sense what's going on around me. I can't see anything. I can't hear anything. I don't know what's going on. And yet he calls out to God in the midst of his trouble. But he's getting no answer, and as a result, his soul gains no comfort whatsoever. And even though the thoughts of God are there, the thought of God brings no relief to him at all. It's as if he's almost turned off by the thought of God. One of my favorite Christian authors is C.S. Lewis. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, did not get married until late in life. And his wife died shortly thereafter. He wrote a book called A Grief Observed. And I want to read to you what he had to say about the death of his wife. He said, in the middle of my grief, in the middle of this, my desperate time, I cried out to God but heard nothing. The thought of God became difficult for me. It provided me with no comfort yeah now in this psalm we get a clue as to why this is when we look at verses five and six again it says that he considered the good old days you remember the good old days the good old days when God actually listened to you when God actually responded when God actually answered your questions when God gave you a song to sing in the middle of the night I mean what do you guys think about when you go to bed at night I was raised by my grandparents, and one of the first prayers that my grandparents taught me was that, you know, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and then that terrifying part for a three-year-old, and if I should die before I wake. <laughs> I pray the Lord my soul to keep. But you know, it's, it's not uncommon when, that I think of a song, you know, when I go to sleep at night, and I sometimes find myself almost humming it. And I go to sleep with that wonderful feeling that God is with me. But this sounds as if in the past when he called out to God, God listened to him. It seems like when he was in the midst of his deep weeds, his deep trouble, that God was actually caring about him. But that remembrance now only brings pain instead of comfort. His burden is not lifted. His heart is heavy. And that really leads to his second problem. His first problem, you know what that was. He had a problem. That was his first problem. His second problem and his more important problem is that he begins to question God's love and he begins to question God's care. Now, this particular day of trouble Probably was no worse than other trouble he'd had in the past. We don't really know for sure. But what's different here is this time when he prays, when he calls out to God, he is getting absolutely no answer whatsoever. And it's beginning to make him think that God doesn't really care about him. There's no calming of his spirit. This leads him to ask six questions. And you see these in the next verses, 6 to 10. I search my soul and ponder the difference now. And here comes his questions. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Has his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. I don't know if any of you have ever felt that low. But those are good questions. And I'll be honest with you, I've asked some of those questions different times. Why, God, would you do this now? And I got no answer. And I wondered. I mean, in the past, God, you listened to me. In the past, you gave me a song to go to sleep with at night. But today, what do I get? What I get is dead silence. Now the questions are interesting because in a sense they actually answer themselves. Look again at verse 8. It says, "Is his unfailing love gone forever?" Now that word unfailing love in the original Hebrew language in which the Old Testament was written in uh, implies this entire covenant relationship that God had between himself and the people of Israel. It was a promise that he would always be there for them. It was a promise that he would do whatever he could to work out history uh, to fulfill the promises that he'd made. It was a promise that said he would be faithful day after day, year after year, decade after decade, century after century. And we even hear those words reminding us in the end of Matthew where it says, For lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Or if you get to the book of Hebrews, never will I leave you nor forsake you. That's all included in that word, unfailing love. And the psalm writer now is saying, has this covenant somehow come to a screeching halt? Has this unfailing love now failed me? In other words, is God's word no longer valid? I had a friend actually tell me that one time when I was really kind of bummed out. And I said, you know, I keep reading God's word about I should be strong and bold and courageous. And he said, well, maybe God's word is wrong. Maybe he was just kidding you. Now, I knew at that point that he was wrong, not God. But maybe people, maybe you've done that before. Has God's mercy stopped? Does he no longer listen? Does he no longer care? Now, notice that there's nothing in his present circumstances here that gives evidence of God's love. So he's now faced with a choice and again if you've ever been here like this you probably come to these same choices you either believe god in the pa- you believe god in the past and guess what he answered you but now you're starting to ask yourself do i believe in god when i don't hear an answer in the past did i only believe in god because he gave me what i asked him for i mean now do i simply believe in god regardless of whether he's blessing me or not Let's go back a little bit further in the Old Testament. You all know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three men in the fiery furnace. We should probably call them by their real names, uh, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. I don't know if you know those are their real names. Those names uh, actually honored God, but when they were taken into captivity, they were given those wonderful names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which honored Babylonian little-g gods. Now, these three young guys were really wonderful guys. They, they loved the Lord, they worshipped the Lord, but then they were suddenly hauled off into Babylonian captivity. There they were with Daniel, and as they prayed constantly to their God, they were blessed. They actually rose in the Babylonian kingdom. These were rising stars in the kingdom. But one day, as you know, Nebuchadnezzar decides to build this giant statue of himself, and whenever the music plays, everybody is supposed to bow down and worship him. And when that day came, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Ananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, just stood there. Now, of course, they were hauled in front of the king, and the king said to them, What God can deliver you out of my hand? And here, these three young men are faced with a choice. I mean, nothing at that point in time gave them any thought of God's faithfulness. They had to decide, do we believe in God because of our circumstances, or did we only believe in God in the past because of the answers he gave us? Let me read you their response to the king. The king says, what God can deliver you out of my hand? And these men say, our God is able to deliver us. But even if he does not, Let it be known that we are not going to serve your gods. They chose to believe God rather than their circumstances. See, and that's exactly what the psalmist is being asked to do. And I think that's the same thing you and I are asked to do when we go through our difficult times in life. It's very simply this. Do we believe God because of what he does for us, because of his blessings, or do we simply believe God because of who He is? Let me say that again. because I, I think this is something we, we, we're going to struggle with. Do we just believe in God simply because of what He does for us, because of the blessings He gives us, or are we going to simply believe that God is who He says He is? Now, I'm going to deviate a little bit from the outline i'm going to share with you something i think it's one of the most powerful things i've ever learned in 48 years of ministry it's simply this it's pretty deep so pay attention god is god i am not (laughs) guess what god is god and you ain't either that's one of the most freeing thoughts i'm not in control god is in control See, when you get to this point, you either reject everything you believed about God in the past, and you decide that God never, ever had any unfailing love, or you accept that he simply is God, and that's just the way God is, and he does not change. That, by the way, is the God I believe in. So the psalmist has kind of come to a little brink here, and he examines these logical implications to these uh, By answering yes to these questions. And then all of a sudden he kind of changes his attitude here a little bit. Verses 11 and 12. It starts out with the word but. You know that's a really great Bible word. Do you know that? But. It's one of the most interesting Bible words there is. You remember how in Romans it says for the wages of sin is death. You know how that continues? But the gift of God is eternal life. It's a great hinge word. But then I recall all you've done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. I don't know if you notice the difference there between verses 3 and 6 and verses 11 and 12. Well, I don't know. How many of you read the Bible all the time in Hebrew? I almost had a hand up. She thought I was going to end up, do you read the Bible all the time? (laughs) Well, I'm going to help you out here because when you read it in the Hebrew, you'll notice the difference between these verses. In in the original Hebrew, in verses 3 and 6, the psalmist is thinking and pondering, but there's no object in the sentence. It's just him thinking and pondering. But when you get to verses 11 and 12, he's still thinking and pondering, but now there's an object. It is on the mighty hand of God. In verses 11 and 12, how does it start? I recall. And he tells us what he recalls. I remember. I cannot stop thinking about. He's moving from having his emotions control him, moving from having his circumstances control him, to stepping back and thinking about who this God is that he has worshipped his whole life. He's forcing himself away from indulging in the feelings that he has as powerful as they are and saying, what is it? that I really know. Do you ever do that, step back from your life and say, what is it I really know about God? You know, one advantage of getting a little bit older is you can look back sometimes. And you say, okay, what do I know about God? Oh, wow, check, 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 check. Now, some of you are younger, you're just going to look back and go, check, check. <laughs> but when you get, you get as old as I am, you're going to have a whole lot of checks to look back on. But part of his problem here, early on, when he's crying out to the Lord, when he's got his hands uplifted in the air, part of his problem was simply this, he was hooked on the ask. I'm going to repeat that, he was hooked on the ask. He was praying those kind of prayers where it's, dear Lord, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, and can I have it by five, see you later? Oh, by the way, Amen. See, our prayers need to, first of all, remind us of who this God is and what God has done in the past. That's why in worship we always start by singing these songs to remind ourselves of who this God is that we claim to worship and claim to follow. And once we've done that, then that comes our prayers of supplication when we honor him for who he is and what he can do. And then bring those prayers to him, trusting that he's the God who can do these things. I mentioned C.S. Lewis before, and he makes the, the point that truth does not depend on what we had for dinner. Do you ever eat a bad pizza? Do you ever go to a local place and get stuck with a bum burrito? And you know what happens when you eat something like that? It begins to affect your feelings, it begins to affect your emotions. And sometimes you start to believe stuff that you hadn't believed before. You're like, I believe I'm never going back there again. (laughs) But you know, truth does not depend on what we had for dinner. Truth does not depend on our feelings or our emotions. What the psalm writer does here is to remind himself of the great truths that are shown in the history of his people. The history of his ancestors and in his own life history. So in verses 11 and 12, he begins to change himself by reflecting on the mighty deeds of God. So let's go back to verses 13 to 15, because he's going to talk about four wonderful attributes of God. He says, O God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Did you catch those four wonderful attributes? Here's the first one. God is holy. I mean, that sets him apart. I mean, he is other, if you will. He's pure. He's different. And that explains part of our problem with God. But I want you to know that just because God is holy, that doesn't mean it's something to fear. It's something to rejoice in. It's something to trust. God is holy. He is not going to waver like the wind. It also says that he's great. I mean, he worked wonders, displayed his might, and he's done miracles. I mean, whatever the trial might be, God was in control. It also says he's a redeemer. I mean, think about this, how God, through Jesus, sent his son to be our redeemer. And what did he do? He bought us back from sin, Satan, and eternal damnation. God is in the business of buying back and redeeming his people. And fourthly, he reveals himself in what he does. Do you ever watch those beautiful sunsets, or the beautiful sunrises? Maybe some of you stayed up. I don't know if you could see them last, you know, all of those wonderful uh, showers in the sky and you watched the moon and all of those kinds of things. I don't know how anybody can look at that and say, there's no God. But doesn't the Bible say, only the fool says, there's no God. See, armed with that kind of evidence, that kind of confidence in the character of God, his holiness, his might, his redemptive love, the revelation, he now starts thinking about an event that took place in the past where all of this showed up. Let's go back a little bit further. You all know the story of the Israelites living in the land of Egypt and Moses and Pharaoh and all that story? Well, you remember how that went. They were there in captive, captivity for about 450 years in Egypt. They cry out to God, and so God sends a deliverer, Moses. Moses leads them out of Egypt And they're going, and all of a sudden they meet their very first obstacle, which is called what? The Red Sea. So here they are standing up in front of the Red Sea. Behind them is the entire Egyptian army. What did they do when they saw that? I mean, there's no way to go forward, there's no way to go backwards. I mean, after all, they couldn't walk on water, and they certainly couldn't battle an armed legion of troops. Well, they cried out, but they did not cry out to God. They cried out to Moses. I'm going to tell you what they said to Moses. I'm going to paraphrase this and put this in the KGV. This is Kolb's general version of the Bible. They said, what? (laughs) There weren't enough graves in Egypt? And you had to drag us all the way out here to the desert to die? I mean, what's the matter with you? Come on, Moses. Let me read to you what the Bible actually says. It is because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. I mean, these guys were desperate. Now, I want you to think about this. These are the same people who have been in captivity, and somebody had delivered them through the power of God. They had seen ten different plagues, including including living through the Passover. They'd barely been out in the wilderness, and now they were completely overcome by their present circumstances and their present emotions, and they could not see God because they were in deep weeds. Now, what did Moses do? Now, by the way, what Moses says to the people is a little bit different than what he says to God because Moses actually whines to God, too. Why did you make me a leader of this bunch of people? But when he stands up in front of the people, he says, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. Tell the sons of Israel, go forward. Now, let me read to you verses 16 and 20, because this is a kind of a poetic description. It says, when the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured down rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. You led your people along that road like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. Now, what were they afraid of? They were afraid of the Red Sea, and they were afraid of the Egyptians. But yet what does it say there in verse 16 about the Red Sea? "When the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled." I mean, what, what a powerful lesson this is, friends. The very things that you and I fear fear God. I mean, anything we face in this world that causes us to fear trembles in the sight of our God. Whatever we fear, fears God. Have you ever seen those T-shirts or hats that say "No Fear"? I went up to a kid in the mall one time, and went "Boo!" I mean, he jumped back. I thought, evidently, that didn't work. <laughs> My grandson told me after church last night. He says, "Grandpa, I'm going to make T-shirts." That say, whatever we may fear, fears God. Look at verse 17. Your your thunder. It was your thunder that roared. God was in control of that. Verse 19. Your road led through the sea. I mean, the people didn't see this ahead. They were worried about their circumstances. They didn't see that God was always there. They saw a barrier. No way forward. But God had already made a way right through. See, God was working through the circumstances that had caused them all of their pain all of their sorrow they could not see God's footprint yet he was going to lead them right to the midst of their problems now if we step back and think about these stories here for a moment uh, we think about ourselves these emotions these feelings of being abandoned by God these feelings that God isn't really answering our prayers guess what folks let me be honest with you, it's going to happen to you. It'll happen to you from time to time. If you haven't experienced it yet, just wait. It'll be there. And I can promise you that at some point in your life, and even probably multiple times in your life, you're going to wonder where God is. I like what Lee Strobel says. Uh, he said, there are really only three different kinds of people in church. You can put yourself in whatever category you choose. He said, first of all, there are people who are struggling with doubt right now. That's one category. Second category, there are people who have no doubts or problems right now, but will have them someday. The third category, says, there are those people who have no doubts or problems now, and they will have no doubts or problems later because they are basically brain dead. So (laughs) you put yourself in whatever category you want to put yourself in i just tell you, friends, if you're serious about your faith, then there's going to come a time when you're going to have unanswered questions. And that's what this whole series about honest to God was all about. We got serious questions about the Bible and about God, and is he the only way? I mean, does he really answer prayers? All of those kinds of things. But God answers them. Now, we get our doubts sometimes because God just doesn't fit into that neat little God box that we put him into. Doubt does not mean that you and I have lost our faith. It just means that you're trying to figure out how your faith works in this chaotic, sinful world that we happen to live in. So instead of worrying about our doubt, we just need to plow forward knowing that God who was God, God who is God, and God who will always be God can use those moments to strengthen our faith. Back in the Old Testament, again, pretty close to the book of Psalms, Isaiah, Isaiah said something in uh, Isaiah 55, verse 8. He says, My ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And it it's for that very reason that we cannot always fathom, we cannot always understand what God is doing, the mysterious ways that He works, but we still say He does. He does. See, God's way, at least in my life, has sometimes been through the sea. Sometimes it has been through the difficulties that refine us. There's a time in my ministry that I came very close to just quitting, bailing out, saying, Enough is enough. I'm not doing this anymore. I was even wondering whether I was accomplishing anything. I was just wallowing in my own self-pity. And I'll be really honest, I'm not sure that I was even praying all that much other than complaining. In fact, I think I'd almost kind of given it up for a while. And I sat down to write a letter of resignation. And I thought, well, as a pastor, maybe my letter of resignation to the church ought to have a Bible passage in it. (laughs) That's how far gone I was. So I turned around and my Bible was laying on the credenza behind me. And there were three Bible passages, all in the first part of the book of Joshua, that were all underlined in yellow, talking about being bold and courageous. Be bold and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Why? Because the Lord your God is with you. Those times come. I didn't realize that I was going to have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. ...in order to accomplish this. But God knew it. And God always brings you out on the other side even stronger. Now, how are you and I going to react the next time this happens to us? Well, I think the Christ follower who has learned to trust God in all circumstances... ...is not going to be led astray by some of the weird promises that people make today... ...about follow God and all of your health and wealth and security will be yours... You know that your relationship is probably a whole lot like your relationship or relationship between husbands and wife. You know, I'm going to be doing my grandson's wedding at the end of June. And I think that a lot of people think, well, you get married and you live happily ever after. No problems. Now, some people say, hey, Doc, how long you and your wife been married? I said, I've been happily married for 47 years. 49 altogether. (laughs) scattered in there about two years of what? Ups and downs, high points, low points. But, you know, we have those times with God. But the interesting thing is, like some people, they don't bail out. God is always there, despite our feelings. That's what we can depend upon. We can hold on to his past deeds. But the emotions are going to come. I can guarantee it. Sometimes caused by what you ate for dinner. Sometimes caused by the personal tragedies that just accompany the life that you and I live in. The emotions will come. So what are we going to do? Well, Pastor Jay likes to put it this way. What's the big so what? Well, let me give you four big so what's. Four things you can kind of drag home with you and think about. Here's the first one establish a relationship with the one to whom you're praying. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if you're going to be praying, shouldn't you know who this is that you're praying to? I mean, I've gone to join a few things from time to time. I wanted to find out all about this place. I came to this church two or three times. next thing I did, called Pastor Jay, said, can I talk to you? I want to know about this place. I want to know if I come here, what am I getting myself into? Now, he didn't tell me I'd have you be preaching in three months. But he said, you'll be in for some interesting times. If I'm going to pray to God, if I'm going to seek advice from somebody who I think can handle all of my doubts, all of my concerns, all of my prayers, I want to know who this God is. Worship. Bible study. Prayer. When I teach, I always say, work the Word, and the Word will work you. And you'll get to know who this God is. But you need to establish a relationship with Him, that living, lasting, loving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing, and I've already told you this one before. Remember that the things we fear, fear God. I, I think that's great. How many times in the Bible does it say fear God? Or fear not? Remember, Gabriel said it to Mary, right? Fear not. 365 times it's in the Bible. That's one for every day. Fear not. The things that scare us are scared of our God. Here's the third thing. Remember God's faithfulness in the past. I got 69 years of God's faithfulness stacked up. Sometimes I need to be reminded to look back at it. For the most part now, I look back and I just see where God has been with me my entire life. And you can do the same. The last thing I would tell you is seek what he wants you to know, not merely what you want him to do. That's why I said before, some people get kind of hung up on the ask. They're interested in God because of what he can do for them, but sometimes God is not necessarily going to do something for you. He wants you to know something. I think there are a lot of prayers that I've prayed over the years that I would say that I didn't get what I wanted But I sure found out what God wanted me to know in that situation. See, this psalm says we don't need to be governed by our emotions when we are faced with doubt or fear or any number of other hard questions that are going to roll down the the line for us over these years. We need to just remember that solid rock of God's faithfulness and to know that even when we don't sense His presence, even when we don't feel His love, even when we can't hear Him, He's there. Honest to God. That's the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, boy, do we have doubts from time to time. Those doubts cover the entire gamut. From times we wonder whether you still love us, whether you still care, whether you've shut off the window of prayers. But in those times, Lord... Help us to remember you, to remember the God that we placed our faith in, to remember that you are a God that heals all diseases, you're the God who rolls away stones, you're the God that mends relationships, you're the God that healed that sin problem we had with you through your Son, Jesus. Overpower us with your love and draw us into a deeper relationship with you. We pray it in the precious name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.